Welcome back to the programme. Well, there's a kind of a theme running here now because my next guest is known as the Indiana Jones of the art world and has made a career out of finding lost art and other treasures. He was in the news this week after he recovered a friendship ring once owned by Oscar Wilde, the 18-carat gold ring with an estimated worth of £35,000 sterling was stolen almost 20 years ago, but will soon be back with its rightful owner, Arthur Brand. Thank you indeed for joining us from Amsterdam. Tell me about the ring, first of all. Well, hi, Marianne. How are Um, you? Well, the ring, um, everybody thought it to be destroyed. It was uh, stolen in 2002 by uh, a guy who broke into Modlin College, a part of Oxford where the ring was, because he tried to um, find proof that his wife, who was working there, betrayed him. So he went in, drank a bottle of whiskey and got away with his ring. Right. And when he got caught, um, he told that he had sold it to a scrap dealer. So everybody thought the ring to be destroyed, to be melted down. But when I read about it, I didn't believe it. Because in my job, I encounter these people on a regular basis. And they always say that something, when they get caught, they say it has been destroyed or it has been melted down. Right. But uh, I didn't believe it. So how did you proceed? Well, it started all... I'm a big Oscar Wilde fan. Um, in fact, he was the only one I read at uh, at college, at high school. Um, so I was reading about him and then I stumbled upon this news article from 2002 about the ring. And I thought, well, everything comes together in this story. My uh, admiration for Oscar Wilde and my work, my job, uh, finding back stolen art or jewelry. So I thought, well... I should go after this uh, ring. So that's how it started, like six, seven years ago. And then, then where do you begin? Where so, do you begin? Yeah. <laughs> well, I have quite a network of people um, on, let's say this carefully, on both sides of the law. Right. And then you start to ask around uh, if somebody heard something about Oscar Wilde's ring. But uh, nothing came out of that uh, until 2015. And what happened then? Well, there were some rumours in the, let's say, London criminal underworld that a certain Victoria ring, a gold ring, in the shape of a belt and a buckle with a Russian inscription on it, uh, surfaced on the market, on the black market, of course. And the ring stolen from Oscar Wilde was a Victorian gold ring with a belt and a buckle, but not with a Russian inscription on it, but with a Greek inscription. Okay. But um, for some people, Russian and Greek might look quite similar. Um, But I thought, well, here we go. This must be our ring. And then a couple of weeks later, we finally put the dots together because in 2015 you had this, uh, one of the most notorious robberies in England, in London, uh, the Hatton Garden safe deposit burglary. This was six elderly thieves making exactly. off with £200 million. Pounds. I mean, people were laughing, but I mean, it was a serious robbery. It was serious, but uh, one of them who stood guard uh, fell asleep. The other was putting insulin in his arm every hour. Um, so it was quite, well, of course, it's a severe uh, crime, but yes. uh, it was quite hilarious. So 
you know, these safe deposits um, are often used, of course, for hiding stuff uh, yeah. that nobody should see. Yeah. So, in some cases, they hide their stolen artifacts. And what happened is that most likely this ring was um, in one of these safe deposits. And these people do not go to the police. You cannot go to the police and say, look, um, one of the things I had in my safe deposit was the stolen ring of Oscar Wilde. So, from then on, it came on the market from intermediary to intermediary and it ended up with somebody who bought it in good faith as a Victorian ring with yeah. Russian inscription. And apparently was shocked when he discovered that it had been stolen. Yeah, um, you know, when uh, when uh, thieves steal jewellery or rings, uh, it's not like a, like a painting. They don't have a signature on it. So you can easily uh, sell it to innocent people who yeah. have no idea. Yeah. So when you find out that your Victorian ring with Russian inscription, in fact, is Oscar Wilde's ring, stolen in 2002, stolen again, most likely in 2015 during this world-famous yeah. heist, well, I can imagine that people start to sweat a bit because you want to don't get involved in this kind of stories. No, you don't. Now... How significant, because um, it's it's your area of expertise, is the illegal art trade and how widespread are fakes and all those kind of things? Well, um, I sometimes joke um, that the art world is a criminal enterprise. Uh, 30% of what you buy on the art market is either a complete fake or altered or misattributed. So we are talking here about a market that for quite a big part has a shady side. And we are talking here about billions. So um, it's quite a big problem. Last week, uh, Prince Charles, um, it turned out that he has uh, more than 400 million pounds uh, worth of fake paintings that was that had made the headlines last week. So it's quite, um, quite a shady business. How did you get involved? Well... Uh, in fact, I, I started to begin um, collecting art when I was a student. And when you are a student, you don't have that much money. So every penny you you, uh, you uh, pay for, for art, you cannot pay on going out to the bar, you know. So when you then find out that there are so many fakes um, and nobody's doing that much about it because nobody wants to talk about it, N neither the dealers nor the... Not a collector. So I thought, well, it's an interesting world. Um, it's a world, history, art, crime, it all comes together there. And we are talking here, of course, um, famous people. Um, the high-end collectors are princes, uh, pop stars, uh, the rich and famous. And um, art thieves or forgers, um, most of them are very colorful persons. One of the, the, the most famous one, especially in Ireland, was Martin Kale. Um, he was quite a character. So um, it's quite an interesting world. So I started to do my own investigations because nobody else did it. And in the end, um, well, here we are. You, um, you obviously did a little mentoring, or no, you were mentored by uh, a former international smuggler yourself. But it's interesting to note that you don't believe the police are that 
interested in tracking down art or art thieves? Well, it's not so much the police. It's more the governments who are not that interested. Um, Scotland Yard has like four people. Um, The Dutch police has two. um, But we are talking here about a crime, which is not only a financial crime, but also a crime in many cases against the heritage, our heritage. And third, and maybe the most important... Um, stolen arts ends up in the hands of big drug criminals, the mafia, in the past in the hands of the IRA, in the hands of people like Martin Kale. So we are talking here the top league of the criminal underworld. And in many cases, this stolen art is used as payment for drug deals, for arm deals. So um, and, and how does that work in the sense that to put it up for sale, to realise money, in other words, if you're looking for cash, uh, it's not possible, is it? No. Um, many thieves who steal, let's say, a painting of Rembrandt think they can retire. They they just scored 10 million. But yeah. in the end, they just cannot sell it. So either they destroy it or they sell it to a, a high-ranking criminal who uses this it as a payment in, in, in the drugs world. So... You owe somebody a lot of money uh, for a shipment of drugs and you cannot pay all of it. So instead you give some money and a Picasso from your grandmother. And then in the end, when these guys have this Picasso and they want to sell it, they find out it was not from his grandmother, but it was from this or that museum. Yes. So um, and then they do the same trick with the next group. And um, so it goes around and around. But you say it's also used as ransom. Yeah, um, the the really big guys in this game, and then we are really talking former IRA people, the mafia, um, they really uh, stole art or bought stolen art to use it as a bargain chip. Whenever they got caught, they could always say, look, um, I have these two Van Goghs. Um, there is this famous story of Rose Dugdale in 74 in the yeah. Westboro House in Ireland, of course. Uh, they say that... She tried to use these stolen paintings to bargain with, uh, uh, for uh, whatever reason, with IRA prisoners. So these smarter guys really st- steal art or buy stolen art for a higher purpose in right. their mind. Now, tell me about Hitler's horses. You say your biggest uh, success to date. Yeah, um, well, we all know uh, the, the Reichschancellery in Berlin, uh, where the Second World War started and ended. Hitler had his office there, and he surrounded it with all these huge statues, like 10 meters high. And we see them in every documentary. And they were destroyed during the Battle of Berlin, all these markers of the Third Reich. And then a couple of years ago, I got a tip that they were not destroyed, most likely, but they were uh, in the hands of old Nazis trying to sell them. Okay. So that's when my search started, and my search went through the the criminal underworld, the Nazi underworld, which still exists, mostly now nowadays of neo-Nazis, um, old spies of the Stasi, that was the old uh, the the East German um, secret service, people of the KGB. So they got all involved in this story. But in the end, together with the German police. We managed to find, after 75 years, um, all these huge statues that were once so important in the Third Reich. So, yeah, that was my biggest scoop. And um, and, and the, the fact that the wall came down 
was significant for the Russians. Where had they been? Yeah, they, the, the thing is this. Um, these, these sculptors that were favored by Hitler, um, when Hitler died, uh, Stalin uh, wanted to, to hire them. And that should tell us that things like communism, uh, Nazism, all these dictatorial um, uh, 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 countries, yes. these ideologies, um, are somehow not that far away from each other. They all like this big art, this huge art. So Stalin uh, took hold of these statues, but he could have not, of course, not say to the West, look, I have these statues and I adore them and I put them somewhere secretly in hiding. So when the, the wall was about to fall down, these guys, these communists, had to get rid of it, the Secret Service. So they went to old Nazi families in the West. Can you imagine communists and old Nazis making money with each other? But that's exactly what happened. That's extraordinary. So where were they physically? Well, they were in the storage of one of these uh, guys who has uh, uh, relations with old Nazis and new Nazis because nowadays... Um, there was a lot to do about the rising of neo-Nazis in Germany. Yeah. There are attacks, etc. Et and they need money for that. And I also stumbled across a, a secret organization in Germany, Stille Hilfe, Secret Help, um, which was related to all these people who I found out to be in possession of this, uh, these statues. Right. And the thing was, and I met this person, the head of Stille Hilfe was Kudrun Buritz. And probably nobody knows that name, but her maiden name was Kudrun Himmler. So the daughter of Heinrich Himmler, right. head of the SS, was until last year, because she passed away last year, the head of this secret organization. It's a fascinating world uh, you work in. Um, I know you say you don't make a fortune on it, but you do get a lot of pleasure uh, even out of having a Picasso in your home for the night. <laughs> but we will leave that there for the moment. And thank you very, very much indeed, Arthur Brand. And we'll take a break.